I won't deny it. I'm a Southsider. You don't wanna mess with me. Got the police looking for me. But I'm calm cause I'm smoking that CBD set. I won't deny it. I'm a Southsider. You don't wanna mess with me. Got the police looking for me. But I'm chilling in the back of the VIP set. We won't deny it. We are Southsiders. You don't wanna mess with us. Got the police looking for us, but there's nothing that they can't do when you're chilling with the Blessed Life Podcast crew. Hit us with some stuff, Facts. Matt. Hit us with some stuff. Hey, you want to roll with me? Got to rock that safe to the T. I don't know if you can see, but we ain't even close to free. Trying to survive in the shy city. No, I ain't even no straight OG. Just chilling with my boy, Tenny. So roll it up and smoke some trees. Peace. Good deal, good deal. Keep it real. Sorry, I don't have a rap for you. <laughs> it's all right. Next time, next time. I'm Brian Tierney. This is the Blessed Life University podcast, The Blue Podcast for short. Today we're going to be talking about the Illinois Safety Act. It is a new law that's going into effect uh, in the new year. <clears throat> With me to talk about that today is attorney Claudia Bertaki of the Cook County Public Defender's Office Felony Trial Division. Also with me is attorney uh, Matt Thompson of Thomason and Tierney. He's a captain in the United States Army. So uh, a lot of people are wondering about this act. It's election season. There's videos going back and forth about whether this is good law or not. So there's a lot of, lot of things going on in regards to this law right now. So let's tell listeners... What is what does the acronym SAFETY stand for? What is what does that mean? Okay, thank you, Brian, and thank you for having me on here um, because it is important to discuss this. There has been a lot of misinformation spread about uh, the new act, and it's unfortunate because then everyone gets all wild up without knowing exactly uh, what's going to happen or what this new um, act entails. So let's start off with the acronym. So SAFE. Dash T, what does that stand for? So it stands for Illinois Safety, Accountability, Fairness, and Equity Today Act. So the Illinois Pretrial Fairness Act that a lot of people have been talking about, like, you know, the pretrial detention, is part of the uh, broader Safety Act, if that makes sense. Right. <laughs> okay, and we have an agenda. Yes. Um, of items that we want to talk about, and we should really just call it our list of things to talk about in regards to the Safety Act. So um, why don't we take it from the top? What What is, uh, what is our um, bullet so, point say for the people? Yeah, so we've got what is it. She just spelled it out for y'all. Um, you know, and how did this uh, come to be? What was the, uh, the genesis or rather the, um, you know, the – catalyst that led to the undertaking of this bill right so obviously um we're not going to talk about the entire safety act because it is numerous and for purposes of it's just pretty big right of just this... plus pages it's it's long. <laughs> long when i hear long uh, as far as you know number of pages it scares me right away we got bullet points that breaks it down later but it, the whole thing is yeah we don't have to go All right but so, yes, so for, for purposes of today we're mostly going to focus on the pre-trial fairness act mm-hmm. right um with a focus on that so again part of the broader safety act so 
the Pretrial Fairness Act, that was developed and refined over a course of four years. So a lot of people think, oh, well, this, this act was just rushed over the last year. That's not the case. It was over a period of four years. And there was uh, a lot of debate uh, in, in the legislature uh, surrounding this act. And as a matter of fact, it was first, well, version of it was first introduced in 2017 during the 100th General Assembly as the Equal Justice for All Act, HB 3421. So that's the origin of it. Um, And then there were different versions of the legislation, both in 2018 and in 2019, where uh, various experts answered questions in person before it headed to the legislature in uh, April of 2019 uh, for the for the subject matter hearing. Um, of course, national experts were also consulted, and Illinois also had the ability to learn from reforms that occurred in other jurisdictions. So it wasn't just a spur-of-the-moment bill that came to be. It was, or, or law, I should say now, it was more of a, a long, longer study Uh, And it was a very thought out process. So it wasn't just like, you know, some lame duck session with no debate. Did you kind of seem to hint that um, this is modeled after legislation in other states then? Yes. So it this um, there's data from other jurisdictions that was um, researched. So, for example, uh, the pretrial in other jurisdictions, New York, for example, um, I know there was some debate there, but New York back in 2019 had bail reforms um, because of a crime wave. And there was various research done, uh, let's see, from November 2020, there was an evaluation of research from 12 different jurisdictions where pretrial reforms had taken place and they found no evidence that uh, crime increased as a result of pretrial reform. So that this was the studies that they done here in Cook County specifically, maybe some people will be familiar with this study, is that Cook County dramatically reduced the use of money bond with no significant change in outcomes or overall crime rates. Uh, in 2021, Loyola University and 2022, a review by the Civic Federation, they both found that 97% of people released pre-trial in Cook County were not charged with new violent offenses. So the rise in murders that we saw from 2020 and 2021 um, was independent of these bail reforms. I think we know what happened, you know, between the pandemic and, yep. of course, the whole Black Lives Matter movement rising yep. and, and oh, a yeah. lot of the, you know... <laughs> Unrest There's a lot of unrest, yeah, social yes. unrest. Generally. Yeah, well, we were um, in the middle of a pandemic, and so what is the effects of government shutdowns and not being able to work due to people as well? So we're seeing increased murder rates. Maybe that's a factor. Correct. Economically, so, too, you know, um, with the shutdowns and whatnot. I mean, people are in, people are in a more pressed position economically. Obviously, crime's going to go up. That's a huge contributing factor. So um, the actual, I think, you know, Bail or not bail is uh, an incident, incidentally significant factor, you know, considering the term of the times there. So, yeah. So to sum it up then? So to sum it up, despite what, you know, you're hearing from uh, different... The, independ- the independence of 
the law and the, the increase, um, you know, it didn't have, an, you're saying it didn't have an effect of increasing, um, fill in the blank here for me. Right, so. Crime rates. Uh, here in Cook <laughs> County, the bail reform already started um, before the pandemic, mm-hmm. okay? And what, this was by uh, Judge um, Evans, his general order, 18.88. What is that? That order basically tried to, um, reduce monetary bond by only having judges set a bond at the amount that somebody can afford. So, Mm. for example, I tell my attorney before I go in uh, in front of a judge for my bond hearing, I only can afford $200. That's all I got, okay? (laughs) How do they verify that? My attorney then would tell the judge, judge, Claudia, you know, Ms. Bertocchi only has $200 for bond. What does that mean? That means, based on Judge Evans's order, a judge was not supposed to set a monetary bond higher than the um, $200. Now, did they set it higher? Of course, all the time. You know, and they would justify it by, you know, clear and present danger, which, you know, we'll get into. Mm. But the point is, there was a significant reduction in cash bond already before the pandemic. So, this is not brand new, and the studies found that you know reducing that reducing cash bond had um, no correlation to the rise of crime. There were other reasons for the rise of crime: the pandemic, yeah. uh, the civil unrest happening across the country, as we all you know witnessed in the summer of 2020. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it had nothing to do with the laws here that were changed because this was nationwide, and we just happened to be a big city, so that's why. We felt more of the effects of it here than, let's say. That was what I was talking about. Yeah. Right. Is you know, that, small yeah. town in Wisconsin. Independent of this know? law, the crime was up anyway. Right? Unless you're Kenosha. Then. Oh, unless you're Kenosha. Okay. <laughs> For yeah. the rest of us in Wisconsin, we're fine. Right. And Kenosha okay. was like, what? <laughs> Anyways, yeah. Um, no, I, I, I totally get you, what you're saying, though, because, I mean, it's much more a consequence of the circumstance of the time rather than um, bail reform policy here. Like, that. that's. That's just an incidental tag along to what was going on. I understand how the naysayers would kind of te- would try to uh, maybe capitalize on that, be like, "Oh, you know, 2020 we saw a significant rise in crimes." Like, yes, yes. So did the rest of the country, including even small town, no name Wisconsin, given the nature of the political unrest and the shutdowns, et cetera, et cetera. So, I don't think that's a valid argument by the naysayers on that account. Um, yeah. Um. What do we have uh, next? To? So the the main thing to keep in mind is that this law now was really well thought out. It was not an overnight thing. It, it took multiple studies. It took multiple um, hearings to, to uh, put this act together. Now, specifically, like I said, we're focusing on the Pretrial Fairness Act, Um that's what we're going to you know, focus on for purposes yeah. of the agenda. So I guess the first question I think a lot of people are wondering, well, first of all, is there going to be any tax increase because of the mm. sex, right? That's the first thing we think of. Oh, well, tax is going to increase. No, this is a criminal justice reform bill, so there's not going to be any tax increase because of this bill. Another question I know a lot of people have been asking is why? What is the purpose of, what is the purpose of this? The purpose is because our criminal justice system has failed. I think we could all agree on that. It has really, really failed. Um, when poor people, especially, they lose jobs, 
when they're incarcerated, when they, they lose their jobs, the family stability suffers, educational opportunity suffers because they cannot post bail on a nonviolent uh, offense. That's where the, us as a society also will feel those effects because they then are put in a situation where they've lost everything and now they're back on the streets, right? And they're, they're yeah. now in survival mode. So this act here not only is taking into consideration uh, how we can do better as a society in terms of criminal justice reform, uh, but we'll also touch upon later how this also helps victims more than it's doing now. Because right now, I would say we're doing a bad job helping victims of crimes. Yeah, I mean, um, I don't know what the stats are on this as of late, but last time I checked within the last couple of years, um, I think the United States of America had like the highest per capita incarceration percentage of any uh, first world country it was. And this is a lot of the things that are contributing to that is incarcerating people for nonviolent offenses, specifically like drug possession. I think this aims to kind of, you know, counteract that because we have been struggling with that as a country. And I do think it is a kind of a vicious cycle, a vicious repeating cycle. Um, I agree. We don't have, we don't have um, a system in like, whether, whether it be in the prison system, correctional facilities where it sufficiently reintegrates people into society the way that I think a lot of our, you know, peers in Europe do, or at least as effective as I think it actually like prolongs um, and encourages, uh, people to be uh living one set of living one kind of lifestyle um as opposed to another more productive kind of lifestyle so i think uh the reform is definitely well intended and i see a lot of components in that that are definitely gonna gonna help in this uh in this past legislation so um there was a point that i was thinking of but i'd like to listen as well as i can before i make those points. Do you want to dive right into what everyone has been talking about and this is the bond reform? Well, oh, that, yes. that was the that was that leads me back to what <laughs> yes. I was gonna, the point I was going to make yeah. is that to be clear for listeners, we want to clarify that there is no cash bail for if you were accused of a violent crime and there's enough evidence to support that. They're not going to let you have they're not going to let you put up a cash bond but for other things there are cash bond or is it completely i, eliminated? I think they're eliminating it through le- per legislation. i thought it was just for violent crimes. no and that's what that's what i want to get that into way later. if you're deemed violent no amount of money is going to get you out of it because there's not moral good. hazard of a rich person could kill somebody yeah. and they could get out with cash whereas a poor person would be stuck there forever and yeah. whatever the case may be um, so that's what I was trying to clarify. Like, if you're deemed violent, there is no cash that's getting you out. But for nonviolent offenses, can you still have a cash bail? Well, here, let's let's take it a step back. So let's talk about community safety because um, another um, piece of misinformation that's going out is, oh, the police are not going to be able to um, arrest people anymore, right? They're going to have to ticket people for certain offenses. False. The police are allowed to arrest anyone that is deemed a threat, mm-hmm. okay, for, no matter what the offense is. It could be criminal trespass to property, okay? If they are a threat, they are allowed to make an arrest. So this notion of police cannot 
absolutely have to have their hands tied behind their back and they cannot make any sort of arrest for certain offenses. That's just absolutely false. Now, who's going to make that judgment call? Well, the police, of course, right? They're the ones that arrive on scene. They're the ones that assess if an individual is a threat or not. And they're the ones that would make the call. They are the ones that would make their arrest. So let's assume now an arrest is made, okay? Uh, For the viewers listening, you have 48 hours to get an individual in front of a judge for probable cause. The judge must find probable cause um, within 48 hours of being detained, um, which also happens to be bond court hearing. Now, obviously, there's um, I don't want to get into the scenarios where you can extend that that time because it will complicate things for purposes of today. For But for purposes of today, within those 48 hours. So bond, what is bond? What's the purpose of setting bond? The purpose of setting bond, bail, however you want to call it, is to ensure a defendant's appearance in court, okay? That's the whole purpose. Now, no matter what crime an individual's accused of, bond is not a punishment, okay? That's that's what a sentence is, right? Bond is simply to ensure the defendant's appearance in court. That's what it is, okay? So now, historically speaking, the thought process was, okay, if an individual pays X amount of money, well, that's their surety, right? That's that's their guarantee that they will show up to court. And then if they don't, then the money's forfeited to the government, right? However, that's not how it's been played out. How it's been played out is that those with money get released, those without money are detained. So let me give you a perfect example. Um, Let's take armed robbery. Okay, I'm just gonna throw that crime out there. Armed robbery with a firearm. Let's say a judge were to set a bail at, let's say there's two co-defendants, okay? So they both committed the crime at the same time, both armed robbery, Mm -hmm. okay? Let's say they don't have a background. Neither one has a background, just to make it simple for today. So they go in front of the judge for their bond hearing. One guy, well, both of their bond is set, let's say, at 100,000 D. So when it's a D bond, 10% needs to be posted. So that would be 10,000, okay? So now these guys need $10,000 each to get out of Cook County Jail, okay? One guy happens to have $10,000 in his bank. No problem, you know, he calls his um, his wife, whatever, posts the money, he's out, okay? The other guy, unfortunately, doesn't even have $500 to his name, okay? When you, when you post that cash, this is like literally they're taking a trip to the ATM or the bank and they walk in there with cash and just put it out? No, no, it's a credit card, okay. Yeah. So, and I didn't mean that really as a joke, okay, just no. for people listening out there, like yeah. when you say posting bond, like you talk about yeah. calling a wife, yeah. like does she have to go get a cashier check or does she have to get his debit card so you he know, can swipe? Can you, is there a credit option? I, yes, credit, yes, okay. Yeah. So let's say that one guy does it's not have- a practical matter, whatever. Right. right, so if the other guy doesn't have that money, what happens? Well, he stays in jail, okay, now, the other guy is free, despite the fact that it was a violent offense, an armed robbery. He had $10,000 to post, so he gets to go free, and who knows, he may or may not commit another crime, okay? But the the individual that remains in Cook County Jail, he does not get to go free, not because the judge found he's a threat to society, but because he is too poor. 
So that's where the problem arises. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I like to compare it to being pregnant, right? You're either, you either are pregnant or you're not pregnant. There's no, I, you know, right. I'm sort of pregnant. It's, it's one or the other, right? You're either a threat to society or you're not a threat to society. It's either one. So if you are a threat to society, then no amount of money should be able to get you it out. It doesn't change the threat, the risk factor. Correct. It does not Correct. affect the risk factor at all. Right. Yeah. So if you happen to have money, but you're some, you know. And what you're basically showing people is what you perceive as an unfairness in the current system before um, cash bail is eliminated. Correct. Because if you are a violent individual that happens to have a lot of money, let's let's think like Bruce Wayne type of money, yeah. right? You Patrick get to Bateman. get out yeah. and commit more crimes if you want to because you have the money to do so. So the cash bail serves absolutely no purpose whatsoever, but it disproportionately affects the poor and disproportionately even more affects people of color. That you're in a situation where money determines whether you are free or not. So that is the problem. So now with this new act, with the new um, Pretrial Fairness Act, it completely eliminates cash bond. So it's it doesn't matter, you know, if you have $100 in your bank account or $1 million in your bank account, there's not going to be a cash bail. So what are judges going to do? Well, now the judge is going to do a full analysis. And this is what I think people are failing to realize. Now the judge has to get more invested, more deeply invested in the bond hearing. Mm-hmm. So the judge has a big decision to make. They have to find that the person who is in front of them is either a danger to society or a flight risk, or they're not a danger to society or a flight risk. So how is the judge going to make this decision? Well, that's simple based on the facts of the case, because every case is different, um, based on the individual's background, based on is the individual a flight risk or not. Now, you can't just say, you know, the state's attorney can't just say, judge, this person's a flight risk. Okay, they have to show, okay, no, this person, you know, maybe they're a non-U.S. citizen. Maybe, um, you know, there could be a number of reasons. Maybe they have a history of uh, jumping the jurisdiction, right? You have to have some sort of concrete proof. Uh, Threat to society. Again, you have to have some sort of proof that this individual poses a threat to society. How are they exactly a threat to society? So it's it's a deeper analysis. It's not just like... Are there some factors that they consider in determining whether somebody is a threat to society? Yes, it will be based on the facts of the case. Based on History. the background, or based... the accused crime, I imagine. The... If it's right. extremely severe, so basically, what I've asked you for is a summary of what you just said. Yeah, if it's extremely severe, I imagine that will weigh like uh, the suspect is committed is uh, suspected of um, an accused of running over twenty people in like a parade or whatever. That would probably be a no cash bail scenario. You know, it's like there appear to be video camera evidence of the suspect driving the said vehicle. <laughs> like we're pretty sure we're not going to give this guy. Give us bail. an example uh, of. Um, what might be considered um, a threat to society that um, that we might see, like Matt just said, a person hitting somebody with twenty cars. Like, um, would a domestic um, abuser be considered a threat to society, or just the individual specific person in the home? Okay, um, well, probably he is considered abused. a threat. I would think. I would hope. Yeah. Right. So, le- so let me explain this first. <clears throat> okay. So. 
right now, you know, judges still have the discretion not to r release anyone, to hold them no bail, okay? And the, the way that it is now, there's a there's a full there's essentially a full hearing on it. So the state will present their side of facts. It, it takes longer than just your regular bond hearing. Uh, so that is already in effect to hold somebody no bail. Will but, this clog up the time in the court system? Court may take a little longer, but I, I think it's worth it because now what's happening is there's a high standard being set for detention, okay, right. for being in, incarcerated in Cook County Jail. So right now, decisions are made in, in minutes. They really are. Which is are. probably not... <laughs> not not good enough when you're dealing with people's freedom yet. Right, exactly. Yeah. So now what this act does is it sets a very high and clear standard. So they really have to give it consideration. Right, for incarcerating someone who's presumed innocent. Because again, setting bond is not a punishment. It is, you're still presumed innocent at that stage or the process. Mm -hmm. okay? Everybody is pres uh, presumed innocent until proven guilty in America. That exactly. is a standard that exactly. we should have. And I understand that a lot of people don't agree with that, but this is the United States. This is the best country in the world, and we are so blessed to live here with the with the type of constitution that we have. So you can't I pick agree. and choose what if you want. If I'm accused of a, a crime, I get a I get a right to a trial. Which is, you know, and we don't always live up to our ideals, but the ideals are you get a, a fair trial to defend against what you've been accused of. And to, you know, the state has a burden of proof that they have to meet. They can't just make up some shit and say you did it. They have a burden of proof they have to meet. And then you can, you're free to defend yourself and try to work with a good attorney to fucking clear your name, you know, and not have to be incarcerated. And, you know, I watch a lot of um, murder mysteries, you know, with my mom. And sometimes they'll do a Dateline special on people who are wrongfully convicted. You know, like, holy shit. Because there was, there was, I was watching this one, I think it was these two brothers from Jersey were accused of a murder from like the late 80s or something like that and they spent like 20 decades. years yeah. in jail dude they got yeah. old together they, they they show the pictures of them when they go to jail and they're like young dudes full hair just fucking lean and mean they were in shape and lost 20 years of their life um you know for a wrongful conviction so i i agree with you on, on the point of like you know me i'm rah-rah civil liberties and everything and freedom of speech freedom of religion freedom of the press the right to defend yourself under the second amendment um, to keep and bear arms. If the criminals can do it, you know, we should have the right to do it too, and we do. It's in the Constitution. But uh, in any event, I didn't want to segue there too far. Yeah. I feel like um, I don't want to take us too far away from relevance to the topic. So what was your next What's point next that one? we were going to launch into? So um, we're still on the bond point. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I, I Sorry, I just let a whole no, bunch of feelings okay. out about civil liberties there. <laughs> so a lot of people are wondering, okay, well, who is this meant to protect now? When the judges are making this um, determination as to who is a flight risk, who is a danger to society, right. it, now that it's going to be more in-depth, who has more protection now ever, than ever before? Yeah, the victims. The victims. The victims. So, for example, it um, the new the Pretrial Fairness Act it increases protections against the victims of crimes having to testify in court or being called as a witness. Um, specifically, uh, there's been numerous advocacy, advocacy organizations uh, that are focused on ending gender-based violence and sexual violence because they believe it will increase safety for, for survivors. Uh, currently, 
under the Pretrial Fairness Act, if a state's attorney is concerned for the safety of a domestic violence survivor and their family, they have now the 48 hours to prepare for a hearing where the judge is going to weigh and decide if the accused should be incarcerated or not. That's the new law. Under the current law that we have now, because you asked about domestic violence, people charged with domestic violence may be released directly by the police or after you know, the initial bond hearing. So I, for for example, I was uh, in the domestic violence courtroom for a year. I won't tell you what judge it was, but I could say that the bonds were mostly to, to post, to walk, what $200, okay? Hmm. And a lot of domestic- For domestic violence? For domestic violence wow. cases. That's pretty low. Uh, yes, they were <laughs> scary well, low. Yes, well, to be fair, I should probably be a little more clear. They were misdemeanors, but still, oh. nevertheless, a misdemeanor domestic violence uh, is still a violent crime. Uh, but the point is, there was no specific weighing. Okay, again, so two hundred. I mean, you're, you're speeding ticket is two hundred bucks right. at least. Right? Posting two hundred dollars, and then you're having somebody release that could edition. possibly go and, you know, abuse reoffend. Reoffend. Yeah. You know, could be problematic. So what this does now is it it allows the judge to weigh a lot more evidence. They have to make a very informed decision here. So for domestic violence cases especially, you're taking the victim's safety into consideration. So now it's not just, okay, are they a threat to society? The judge is allowed to take an individual. So, mm. for example, you know, is, is this individual a threat to Brian specifically? And if the answer is yes, based on the facts of the case, then the judge may hold you no bail. If you're a threat to me, you're a threat to society, G. <laughs> Bars. Um, but, but yes, I mean, so is that what they're doing then? Like, if you're in a domestic violence situation and you're the victim, are they... Are you? Are they taking statements from the victim? Is it in open court? Because is the is the victim telling the judge, "I believe that they're a threat to society as well"? Because if I'm getting beaten very badly, if they're a threat to me as an individual, like who's to stop them from doing that to somebody else? Like right. it's so. How are the victims involved in the process? And are they ever put in a bad position where they're having to supply information that may further endanger them? Well, there are victims' advocates, number one, and there are states' attorneys that represent the people of the state of Illinois. They're the ones who are advocating for the victims, right? Sure. They're, and, and by the way, anyone could show up to court. So it, do victims always show up to bond court? No, but they can, right? Or they don't They don't have to because I understand. On a percentage basis, do they show up often to bond hearings? or that, they I often, would think they wouldn't They often don't. But, You're mm. correct. They often don't. It seems like an order of business that they might not to be, need to be there for. They just need to know that the prosecution is going to move forward with charges, you know, if they believe them to be true. Right. Yeah. But now under this new act, it is actually going to increase safety for survivors. So, for example, this act now makes it absolutely mandatory <laughs> that victims are notified of each stage of the decision-making process. So here, for example, yeah. let's say the judge finds the individual held um, no bail. Then the victim must know immediately, right? There's no keeping victims in the dark anymore. They Every single stage of the process, if the judge doesn't find that this individual is a threat to society or the, or the victim specifically, then the victim needs to be informed about that. Because although the judge may find he's not a threat, 
maybe he or she believes, no, the judge got it wrong and he or she is a threat. Now, I need yeah. to go take precautions to Team keep to myself safe, yeah, yeah. safe, right? <laughs> I need to go live yeah. with so-and-so in the meantime. I have to make sure, you know, my abuser doesn't find me, right? So you have to keep the victims informed of every single And so let's just stage. put a pin on that for a second. If the victims weren't informed at every single stage before, and now this is something new that's happening, what logistics and methods have they put in place or protocols to make sure that they are involved? It sounds like we're doing something new here. Do we have new people employed to do this for the victims? Like, it's almost like, um, you know, when you're applying for a loan, you're like, all right, we've received your, uh, you know, documents, we're processing them. Okay, now you're on to the next step. Like, how are they being alerted about this and how are they being involved? Uh, what are the mechanisms for their involvement in this uh, process? Right. So to be in, being updated about every step. So of here, let's st- let's stick with d- domestic violence, okay? Mm-hmm. Whether it's a felony or a misdemeanor charge. Right now, I could tell you, I in all my years, how many years have I been with them now? So since 2018, at least. Well, technically, if we go back to my law school days, I've been uh, with the office, the Cook County Public Defender, since 2012 as a law clerk. So, yeah. I mean, it's essentially been 10 years that I've been, you know, involved with this office. I have yet to see a domestic violence charge that was no bail, okay? I've seen domestic, uh, you know, domestic, uh, like, ag domestic battery, I should say. I've seen, you know, high bonds, like 100000 150000 Okay, now we're talking about strangulation cases or, you know, any sort of other really severe abuse cases. I've never seen, and again, I can't say it hasn't existed, but I've never seen a no bail. That's problematic because now the abuser, if it's a rich abuser, okay, and he has $10,000 and he can post that $10,000 and let's say he really is determined to reoffend who you know his um whatever domestic relationship they had and he ends up you know killing his wife killing his his girlfriend why because he had ten thousand dollars to post that's right, why it's important the... that a judge say this individual is either a threat or they're not a threat and it, it and based again on the facts of the case you know you are going to have your cases of um, domestic battery, you have a disgruntled ex that can make false accusations against you, right? Or make accusations against you to protect, to protect themselves. So you, the judge will be able to see through, you know, a certain set of fact patterns, so to speak, okay? Hopefully, yes. So that's why it's so important <laughs> to get rid of the money aspect, okay? Get rid of it and let's really look into... Is this person a threat or are they not a threat? Because that right there, that analysis right there, is going to give the most protection to the victims that they deserve. They do deserve to be protected. And I believe that the courts are failing them now by having money as a standard of protection. Yeah, I've never, like, conceptually or logically really been a fan of cash bail. It's just I've always been a you know, in favor of more, like, fact-based determination in terms of, like, actual risk factor by the court. Um, I, you know, I just, I I guess I kind of see how it came to be, but um, I just don't think that it's the model we, sh- we should be going for going forward. I, I think it should be a fact-based determination by the court. 
specifically based on risk factors and money is just it's just an extra complicating factor um because like she was saying it's just you know okay say there's a high risk factor you want to you want to adjust bail accordingly well if you have a um affluent enough client like they can supersede that with paying out enough bail money so it's just um i've never been a fan of it conceptually um my only kind of worry about this you know going for it well not my only but one of the things i've noticed about in the brief glance i've given this uh prior to uh this podcast um i was wondering you know some of the um opponents of this uh site it's i guess compatibility with the illinois state constitution specifically article one section nine um which is pretty clear the defendant has a right to a bail set by the court do do we think do you think that like the in order to survive like a state constitutional challenge like a, a constitutional amendment to that provision would maybe be more a sure thing or well, uh, like it i understand personally so what like said to summarize policy wise yeah. it appears that there's a constitutional right to have a bail um i think that it's implied that it's cash bail then, but yeah, um, they don't use the word cash, but they're it's, they're guaranteed a bail. Specifically, but this law is saying right now that there won't be bail. So, will the law pass constitutional musters? The the question that he's raising. Well, that's an excellent question yeah. because as attorneys, we know that statutes are open to interpretation. I'm surprised they're not already challenging it on that basis. Well, I think they will. Right. I think they will. Probably it has to so. take effect first, probably. So they'll be filing them like January second. Probably, right. I would think. Right. I, I think they, there will be challenges, of course, and there will be interpretations, and we, we can't really say for certain now until we get some sort of ruling from the courts, right? Because just not only this statute, any statute, right? That That's what case law is for. That's how we, you know, that that's what we use every day in court is case law based on statutes, based on how to interpret the statutes. So to answer your question, I mean... I, one side could say, well, yes. I mean, there was a hearing. And this person, because right now, if the person is a danger to society or a flight risk, they can be held no bail. Sure. All right? But if they're not, then they go free. Yeah. So, like I said, it's a very high standard now. It's no more, okay, how much money you have. You know, it's it's no more the the rich abuser gets out, but the poor abuser stays in jail. Okay, it, it it's like a specific it. set of facts that we need to take into consideration. Um, let me give you guys an example too. Yeah. So, aside from domestic violence, besides, um, well, most murder cases are no bail, but this, I, I guess the another charge that I see that's very high always is uh, any any type of sex case, mm. okay, will have a ridiculous amount, 150,000D, 200,000D, okay? So now we're talking about, you know, posting 15,000, 20,000, up to $50,000. I had a case in, when I was at the Maywood Courthouse, and it was, it was a felony case. It was um, criminal sexual, um, aggravated criminal sexual abuse of a, of a minor, now, at first glance, you read the fact pattern and you're like, whoa, okay, this is pretty heavy stuff. The, 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 the complaining witness was uh, eight years old. Yeesh. That's I go visit That's the client bad. in the jail. 
you know me, I have really strong intuition. You know, I, I have a, like a sixth sense sort of. Maybe that's a Scorpio in me. I'm like, this guy did not do this. I knew it from the minute I met him. And I became so determined to prove his innocence, to really prove it. Because I, I know, just looking at this man in the eye, he didn't do it, right? I, long story short, I, you know, I start investigating the facts of the case. And I'm not going to get into all the details of the case, but long story short, his bond was 150000 D. That's 15000 to walk. He didn't have that money, okay? Yeah. <clears throat> he was in custody, Cook County Jail, for ooh, uh, maybe a year and a half. No background. The guy was, I, he was in his early 30s. No background whatsoever. He was a... a Puerto Rican American citizen, Puerto Rican citizens mm-hmm. uh, from Puerto Rico. No violence whatsoever. This case, we set it for bench trial. So a bench trial is a trial in front of the judge. And it, with, with, not, with no jury, no jury. the judge makes the decision. It's so ironic because it was set, we had the trial one week before the court shut down for the pandemic. I was hmm. just like, whoa, if this was a week later, this poor guy would have been there even longer because they they stopped having trials they shut down the courts right there was uh several pieces of evidence i found in my investigation that was able to prove that this troubled young girl fabricated the whole story okay this was a case there's no dna evidence it was basically this little girl's word against um stepdad that was he was stepdad okay her word against his, and he was arrested for it. There was no, no, no eyewitnesses, no DNA, just her word alone. And I was able to prove how exactly she lied about these allegations. So like I said, I don't want to get into all the details about the You've case. You've went into a lot of details uh, in a good general way yeah. where right. you haven't crossed any lines. When I, I tell you that this man was innocent... He was really, really innocent, okay? He really, really was. So let's take that example, you know, because I'm sorry to break to people, not everyone that's arrested is guilty, okay? Yeah. We've ha- we've seen this time after time, you know, where especially all the the police abuse that happened in the 70s and 80s Ooh, yeah. and 90s even, and, tw- you know, people spending 25, 30, 40 years in prison and then DNA exonerates them, that's just unacceptable, it really is. It's, it's nobody should be okay with sending an innocent person to prison, right? Now take that a step back. Pre-trial detention. We're not even talking about prison no. because if you're found guilty, that's a different story. Okay, we're talking about just the pre-pre-trial detention right now. This poor man sat over a year and a half in Cook County Jail in Division Nine for. Those of you who are wondering, okay, Division 9, that's the max security prison. That's It's like an underground. It's for like, you know, they say the worst of the worst, the Division 9. It, it, literally, you're, you go down in the ground. That's how you get down to um, Division 9. So he, he was in Division 9 for a year and a half for a crime he did not commit. Why? Because he didn't have $15,000. That's why. Okay, now... Had that case happened, or I'm sorry, had the Pretrial Fairness Act been in place at that time, what could the judge have considered? No DNA, no witnesses, no criminal background whatsoever. 
the facts of the case, how the ca- the case makes no sense whatsoever. It, it was one of those fact patterns that made you look at it like, huh? Yeah. What 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 is this girl saying? Like it was a biz- it was a bizarre fact pattern. Probably the the weirdest fact pattern I've ever seen. If you would have taken, if the judge would have been able to take all that into consideration, he, well, I can't say what he would have done, but I'm pretty confident. I mean, a judge would have set him, you know, free where he, he, he's just allowed to go on his word that promises to come back to court, right? Assuming that they find he's not a flight risk and he's not a danger, but because sex cases are a big, like, they're scary. It's a, a, scary, a, it's a heavy thing. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a scary very heavy thing. thing. No judge yeah. wants to wants to said a, a man who's accused of you know yeah. sexually abusing a little girl out free, right? So they set these very high impossible bonds without finding if they're if this individual is a risk. Um, I'm sorry, a danger to society or to the victim specifically. But even still. I, now, now, even that to say, say the current say the safety act was in place at the uh-huh. time when that was, there is no guarantee that that guy would have gone free. I mean, given the the nature of the severity right. of right. what was alleged, um, even still, the judge could come down and be like, you know what, this is pretty severe, se- severe. But here, but- it's not a guarantee thing. But it, you know. It's not the the point is it's not dependent upon how much money the guy has. Right, it's dependent upon the facts. But it would so be it's challenged one of those where it's, Yeah. Because, like, yeah. the fact pattern that I gave, a judge may look at it twice, right? Now, if there's now, let's take another fact pattern. Let's assume there is DNA evidence. There's eyewitness. You know, yeah. a history. Let, let's say he's been arrested for this before in the past. Yeah. Now, even so, he's still presumed innocent at this stage, okay? So then the judge has to say, is there any set of conditions I can put in place that will guarantee the victim's safety or the community's safety? And if the judge decides, okay, well, this guy can stay at this, he's got an address where he could stay on electronic home monitoring. He'll be monitored 24-7 because they are monitored 24-7 through the, the GPS device, through the sheriff's department. So even if there's an overwhelming amount of evidence, you still have to find that there's nothing that can be done, that EM would not work for this individual. Now, when will EM, we'll get to EM in, yeah. in a minute. I want to get to that. Well, yeah, we'll get to that in a minute. But the judge will have to find that this individual can absolutely not be placed on EM because, um, I don't know, they've been placed on EM in the past and they always cut off the bracelet and, and run away and don't show up to court. Or they or they have this um, pattern in the past where they're on EM and they go commit all these series of and you say crimes. EM, it's electronic monitoring. Electronic yes. monitoring at home. Um, so if you're at home, you're what they call EM, electronic monitoring. Um, when it comes to something as important as freedom and going to jail, it seems really important for a judge to not only put a lot of time and serious thought into consideration of that, um, as to whether they're going to put them in there or allow them to be out, even if they have to make bail and then the amount of that bail. Um, so this, what you've been saying is that this law actually gives them more time to consider things, and they also get more information. It seems like 
simple reasoning that with more information you can make a better decision. That's how I always feel. I would want to know as much as possible about this person, about the person who's accusing them, about the facts, like as many facts as I could get at the start. I'd want to know that when I make those decisions. What How it used to be is what Claudia is saying is basically all these things would happen in a matter of minutes. You come in for your bond hearing, attorney's there. All right, you got your attorney. Um, what is he accused of? All right, the uh, bail should be set at or bond should be set at this. They stamp it. You're there five minutes, yeah. and you're on to the next one. It should but be more here, in depth than it's that. on a case-by-case really case basis, so we're getting down to now almost more of a merit-based um, decision, which if you're talking about punishing somebody, this is all about merit, right? So there's a lot of factors that now a judge can consider that they never would have been able to consider before and just make it the, – they're given now an opportunity to make a better decision. Whether they will or not remains to be seen for every given judge. That's a case-by-case -case right. basis too, yeah. I'm sure. But at least they'll be making a decision um, not in terms of judicial efficiency and going to the next person every five minutes. Like, look, we got a 40 people on the call today. we got to get you through, right, or for the for the bond hearing. So it's like – it's like stamp go, you know, in five minutes. Now judges will be able to consider more things about the uh, the accused offender and about um, the the victim. And what I've noticed from the criticism of this, okay, of this of um, eliminating cash bail, a lot of people have a problem with the fact that bond or bail is not a punishment. It's not a punishment. It, again, I can't. I sound like a brokered record, because but as a matter of justice not, and fairness, yeah. people Punishment have an intuitive sense that things should be proportional. So what people would expect is that if it's a very serious crime, that the bail would be very high, because it's it's meant to it's meant to match the severity of what they're doing. Well, I think what a lot of people actually want that I, I I'm seeing is that they want that bond hearing to be essentially, you know. The, the bond hearing, the trial, and the sentence, yeah, all in I, one. To be more correct, yeah. what I should have, uh, say, what should have said is what they are accused of. I didn't mean to say that these persons did it, but right. like, yeah. the more serious right. nature of what you're accused of, the more likely right. you are to get a cash uh, a higher So, bill. for example, you know, you, you are charged with um, aggravated domestic battery. Okay, you know, it must be true. You must have done it. So let's set your bail at um, half a million dollars. Okay, you can't presumably you can't, you know, just whip out half a million dollars right now, right, for bail. Let's set your bail at half a million dollars um, and because you should be punished for what you did to what she's accusing you of doing. And if you can't afford that, well, your sentence is you wait in Cook County Jail until trial or until you yeah. plea. Now, that that's how some people think. And I can't change the way people think. So I think what we're trying to do here is let's clarify and get the information out but no matter how clear we are what i'm trying to say is people are still going to disagree because they in their minds they want that bond hearing to be those three things they don't want it to be what it is which is assuring that the defendant will appear in court so now we're yeah, talking purpose, you're getting down to the purpose the purpose of bond is to assure or try to secure um appearance right and and not punitive so you're saying it should be it should be as a security, but not to punish them outright at the start because at, they're still presumed innocent. They're not. That's what you get the trial for to determine whether you should be you should forfeit your freedom later. Correct, but some people want that punishment, and that's <laughs> where we can't change their minds. Yeah. So what you're saying, you're pointing out the unfairness in people wanting to use bail as something punitive. That right. It should be. You're you're saying that the bail system should be 
um, more based on securing. I mean, that's the standard. It's, it's, it's really its purpose is to secure people being there in person, not leaving, running out of the state, trying to get out of the country, um, or just hiding themselves out, you know, wherever they can hide out. It's meant to secure their appearance and not slap them with a punishment right away in the process. Correct. Just so we're clear on purpose. And so right now, um, when we still had cash bail, you feel that it was more punitive and we're moving to a point now where we're getting closer to like a, a better place of, you know, um, securing people in, in court and not um, having bail as a punishment. Right. Because you're you're essentially punishing people for being poor. That's what you're doing. And I'm, I'm a student, too. So, like, yeah. you know what I mean? That's what the Blessed Life Universe is all about is learning as well. So for people, you know, listening out there, I practice mostly real estate, transactional, contract-based law. And uh, I do other things as well, but that's the, the, the bulk of it. And so I like to learn these things, too. As somebody who doesn't practice criminal law but cares about justice in this country deeply, um, I'll be, I'm asking these questions just to clarify it for myself, too. I was able to focus a little bit more as we got into this. It's been a long day. We've all worked right yeah, now. It's, it's We're recording this. I know I said, like, oh, if you're listening today, it's not today. It's tonight. <laughs> it's 10, 20 at night. And we're, professionals have worked literally all day long and are we now talking about this again. So yeah. just this so everybody, everybody who's out there listening just know that we're already exhausted trying to do this. I was losing focus earlier and stuff. Oh, me too. I need so a good bad. night's sleep because so uh, the, being oh. an attorney will drain you. You solve other people's problems for a living. And you, you already have your own problems. So think about that. You got to handle all your own shit. People have crazy lives, all sorts of obligations outside of this, and yet we we're we're over here trying to wrap and flush out some more knowledge on this new law that's coming our way. Good, bad, ugly. Everybody can make up their own mind about it in the end. We're just trying to like talk about it and what it is. And there's a lot in so, it. There's it's, well, we're still, they packed a yeah. ton in this freaking. Well, yeah, it, we, I heard it's 700 pages or something, yeah. which it doesn't surprise me. You see pictures of things that look like multiple phone books stacked on top of each other that the governor or president signs. You're like, how much <laughs> shit is packed in this? They don't law even know they're signing. It's just like yeah. it's just like all these corporations just got put in their own chapter of it and shit. Like, to, it has nothing it's to do with the actual purpose there, of the just, law or something. Anyway, whatever <laughs> the point. For another podcast, you know, yeah. Talk about these um, but so writers, do you but, want to talk? But about... we're talking about pretrial fairness yes. right now. I think right. we're going to summarize that quickly because we have given it a lot of, of uh, discussion here. Because there's other parts of this law that probably deserve to be. We mentioned possible constitutionality issues. That's another thing. That's a fair and legitimate issue. It's going to be really interesting to hear that now because I didn't know that bail was specifically enumerated in the Constitution. I thought that was something it to is. be determined by congressional laws afterwards. So, like, yeah. it seems like Illinois tried to do a lot with their Constitution. I believe the last time they had a convention where they remodeled their Constitution and, and did all sorts of things to it was, was in the 70s. We went to John Marshall Law School, which did you as well, I believe. You did. Oh, you went, you went to oh. Kent, which was a great, great school That's how well. I learned how to write so good. And so in John Marshall, <laughs> there was some people that taught there on the faculty that were advisors or consultants or even may have drafted some of the language that's in that most recent mm -hmm. constitution. So, like, you have a con an Illinois constitutional um, constitutional expert there, Anne Lucine at um, John Marshall. You'll see her appearing on public news or NBC and different things when there's, like, a big issue coming up with constitutional law in Illinois. It's like she was one of the people who advised them on how to write it or, you know, certain portions of it or whatever. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting. I didn't even know that until you brought that up today. So there's, you know legislature has now acted this seems like it doesn't fit in with the plain language of the constitution but there'll have to be more interpretation and all this we'll see how that goes judicially mm -hmm. that's one thing yeah. so then we're talking about we pointed yeah. out i think what claudia really wanted to, to, to point out to people is that 
that we're getting to a, a point now where more information will be considered and that will be better and cash is removed from the process so that pe the rich are rewarded and the poor are punished. And so, so that's good. That sounds positive to me. This part of the law sounds positive. I don't know how this is all going to play out in real life. I always reserve the, the judgment for later and wait for more information is probably the best way to go. But it seems reasonable. It seems good that we're in that direction, that more information would be considered. So I think we covered um, Pretrial Fairness Act pretty well. That that's Well, this is all the Pretrial Fairness Act we're covering. Yeah. <laughs> this yeah, is all that we're covering what, what today. What more that we need to so, know about it? Now, have you seen that meme that scored? Well, I, I don't know, even know if it's not. a meme. But it's that, you know, non-detainable offenses, and it lists the offenses, and everyone's freaking out because as of January 1st, there's going to be the Great Purge, and, you know, the gates of Cook County Jail are going <laughs> to open, and all these violent... Yeah, yeah. Offenders will be released into society for this great purge. You've heard about that, okay? Yeah, what you're yeah. saying is that they're trying to create fear in order to shape people's opinion on how this law, like, to, to, to change their view of its purpose and its possible or intended effects, and they're using fear to do that. So they're basically trying to tell you how you should think about this law, and what you're trying to tell people is that what they're doing may not be true. Well, that let's, let's talk that about this that. Is, this is not what they're saying, that some people are saying it is. So... There's, there are detainable offenses and non-detainable offenses, but let's explain that because it, if I slap a meme and I put these offenses on and then I just say non-detainable offenses, that is not explaining it at all because that's not tr the full truth. You know, I like to, you know me, I'm a religious person. I like to compare that to the Bible, right? You, you're going to uh, take one verse out of the Bible here, for example, where Jesus says, I come not to bring peace, but a sword. Whoa, Jesus, you sound violent. I mean, it's coming you hard as fuck in the awesome. paint, right? Sword? Wait, yeah, wait, what do you mean? Jesus, yeah. you're coming with the sword? I mean, <laughs> they crucified him. It sounds like you need a weapon to defend yourself against right. people. But think. when you read the whole passage, he, you, it's the figurative sword, the double-edged sword where he talks about mother going against daughter, um, son against father, the division that Christianity will cause, right? By following Jesus, you will, you will have your family hate you. Right. No, that that was the yeah. not an actual sword where Jesus is like, go slay the people that that's not it. But if I take that, if you're for someone who's not a Christian. OK. And I take that line out and I say, Brian, look at this. Look what the Bible says. It says, you know, I come, not, excited, yes. I, I come not to bring peace, but a sword. Yeah. But I don't explain the whole passage to you. What are you going to think about Jesus? Like, oh, this is bad news. This is some. So this what is you're like, saying. Yeah. So the scenario is. Jesus has a sword, but he comes to bring peace and a sword? Peace comes, with a sword? No, no. <laughs> you he comes like, not to bring peace, your... but a sword. And, and then it goes <laughs> on to yeah, explain what that sword, sword is. It's okay, a so figurative sword? sword. The sword is the division it it will cause. You're choosing God the above everyone. Between right? So if, you're, if your father's telling you, do not follow that Jesus guy, okay, he, he's, he's a fraud, and you say, no, Jesus was not a fraud. I'm going to follow him. Okay, who was the first saint? You know, Papa this? was a rolling stone. Maybe Jesus what, was Peter? too. Yeah. No, the, the, I'm sorry, the first martyr, I should oh. say, not the first saint. The first martyr, Saint yeah. Stephen. 
Stephen yeah. was stoned to death. Why? Simply because he was speaking the truth of that that about Jesus, and he was basically calling the Jews out on how they were be, they were hypocritical in their own law. Dude, and he was stoned to death for that. So that's terrible. that double edged sword yeah. that Jesus talks about. But I know we're now I digress. Okay, yes. Jesus. Jesus talks about it. We can talk. We can <laughs> talk about biblical history in another podcast. What you heard from Jesus? I was I was actually a religion major in undergrad. Well, so. the Gospels yeah. are. G- you know, thoughts have been written, well, besides Luke, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, by, you know, those who have accounts of Jesus. So that's what it says, Jesus, I come not to bring peace, but a sword. But anyways, you get the point I'm trying to make here. Yeah. You need the whole context. So that meme that's going around by saying non-detainable offenses, you're not getting, you're not understanding the entire concept. So what is it? So detainable charges. Yes. First of all, there's a there will be a limited number of felonies that are eligible for detainable uh, charges. That does not mean that the other uh, felonies not mentioned are are non-detainable. That's not what it means. But let's just go through the list really quick. They will be eligible for detention. These these uh, felonies, mm-hmm. if okay, big if the state proves that the arrested person poses a specific real and present threat to someone else to or to society what are those charges so basically anything that's non-probationable what does that mean that means then a prison sentence so a forcible felony for example what's a forcible felony here's some of the common ones murder attempted murder armed robbery uh home invasion vehicular hijacking all sex crimes, all domestic violence charges, misdemeanor and felony. Okay, mm. this is huge, guys. There's I have a lot never of seen a no bail on a misdemeanor domestic violence. Yeah. Now it is. Now they can be detained. Um, of course, after this finding that um, they pose they pose a, a real and present danger. All non probationable gun related felonies. What's an example of a gun non-probational um, felony? Unlawful use of a weapon by a felon is non-probationable. Okay, so that, that's actual prison time. Whereas a class four felony of aggravated unlawful use of a weapon, that is uh, probationable. Mm-hmm. Now, when I say, see, this is so misleading, the statute. When it's <laughs> aggravated unlawful use of a weapon or unlawful use of a weapon by a felon, just so we're very clear for the audience, does that mean you use a firearm it means it was on you yes exactly exactly so it is non-violent to just possess a gun right to just have it in your possession and not use it that is a non-violent offense but what this is saying here is that even if you don't use the gun it's still one of those felonies that um they can be uh detained if the state is able to prove that this person poses a real and present danger. Okay, so maybe this guy, you know, he literally just got released from prison for armed robbery or armed carjacking, and now he has the the firearm on him. So maybe a judge in that scenario may find that, hey, he may not have used it, but I think he, he may go use it, and yeah. I find that he's a threat to society, so no bail, right? No bail. You mentioned um, probation. Yes, so pro So explain to people what that is. Oh, I'm sorry. So probation is 
I'll explain the way I explain to my clients because people hear probation, they're like, oh, I'm not going to prison. This is easy. Oh, no, it's not easy. You got a probation officer you have to report to. You're walking a fine line. So meaning you pick up any new offense, the state's attorney files what's called a violation of probation. And then depending on the judge, you could be held without bail on that violation because when you plead guilty to or are found guilty and you have probation as your sentence, you're making a promise to the court, to the judge specifically, I promise not to pick up any new cases. I promise to comply with the terms of my probation, whatever that may be, community service, random urine screenings, um, report, you know, reporting to the probation officer, restitution, whatever the terms may be, you're making a promise to comply. You break that promise, a judge can then resentence you to um, whatever the sentencing range could yeah. have been for for the, the it could be the maximum or the minimum. Like the we judge gave has you a that, chance, right? You threw that in the court's face. You flaunted it. You came up short. Sorry. Sentencing. Now, the 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 meme that you're seeing with so the, all but these. The, the reason I mentioned it because she mentioned both probationable and non-probational yeah. offenses. So I want right. to first of all, what is what you, you described of what the process entails for probation. Yes. And then she had listed some crimes that were probational and non-probational. So I just wanted to kind of like, you're like, oh, that's a probational offense. This is a non-probational offense. How should I make sense of that mentally if I if you were not clear on what probation is? So I just wanted to point that out because I'm learning about all this too, right? I don't know how somebody who practices criminal law would, would define it. So I just wanted to hear that. But so then, you know, let's, let's take one of... Um, meaning that you can be out, but but um, you're, you're on probation, meaning you are... You're thin ice. Being, yes. Yeah, you're on thin ice, you're yes. being monitored, and if you break your promise, you, you will do, you'll be thrown in jail, basically. Yeah. So let's take one of those from the non-detainable list, that, that meme that's going around, okay? So one of them is uh, second-degree murder. Okay, what is second degree murder? Oh, yeah, you detain heat of passion. That's a your heat of heat passion. Of passion okay, you bar walk, fight. You you, you sock a guy too hard. Say that yeah. one more time. Right. So here, let me let me just what, give. What, what did you say? Degree or what? What type of charge are we talking about there? Second, second degree uh, murder. Second so, degree murder is a heat right. of passion crime. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It's an aggregating factor. It's not that, premeditated. Or it's Correct. a factor that would have made it. You know, if if it wasn't present, it would be first degree murder. But right. So that's like murder. you walking in on your spouse engaged in uh, sexual relations with another man. Yes, your spouse is. Sex. King Kong mode. You're, 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 oh, well, we don't have to talk about. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He goes into uh, to uh, gorilla panic mode and smashes <laughs> yeah. Hulk smash. Right. Hulk yeah. smash. Yes. Right. But um, let's but let's use this the the bar fight for example. Yeah, a bar fight is more a bar fight. Okay. Yeah. That was a type of. You're charged with second degree panic. murder because the guy dies. Yeah. Okay. Now, what if your attorney is you know presents mitigation? to the judge that this is a clear self-defense case, okay? You have no background whatsoever. You just have the second-degree murder charge you're facing now. No background whatsoever. Mm. You're an attorney, right? Now the judge considers all of that. Well, wait a minute. Wait, this this is a strong self-defense case? Okay, you know, he will be released now. But... Let's let's use another fact pattern. Let's say that um, you know same bar fight again, mm. but now this is literally like your fifteenth arrest, okay? <laughs> or your fifteenth, you know, you have fourteen felonies in your background or whatever like yeah. that, and yeah. you just got out of prison for an armed robbery. Okay, now the judge is going to look at it and say, "Wait a minute here, 
Okay, no, I, I do find that this man poses a real and present danger to society, you know, based on the facts of this case, based on the history, and then will order you held without bail. So what I'm trying to get at is that list that's going around where it says non-detainable offenses, okay, with the equivalent of pulling out that Bible verse and saying, you know, I come not to bring peace but a sword. <laughs> It's yeah. not true. It's like, oh my God, I never understood nuanced. the Bible. Right. And we have to do a Bible analogy now. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. I know analogies. It's a comparison. But right. I can't make sense of the Bible. I'm, I'm, I struggled with that all my life. This guy's a religion major. Yeah. I, I, I read this book where it's like um, Promises for Every Day, and it's a leadership by, uh, I think it's John Maxwell. I don't have it in front of me, but I think his first name is John. Anyway, it has something for every day. And like the Bible, the Bible verse at top, but then they tie it into you know how it compares to real life, or they make an analogy or show you some kind of lesson with it. So... I usually skip the Bible verse and just go right to the interpretation by this guy because he's spot on. You know what I mean? Like, why am I going to spend the mental energy doing what this guy's going to tell me? Because, you know, I mean, there's so many things in the Bible that are like um, metaphors or something that you have to like read into what they're talking about. I don't, I was never good at interpreting that. You probably had a lot of opportunity in college when you're studying like what the metaphors (laughs) of some of these religions are or whatever. Anyway, so so that's where I'm coming from. (laughs) That earlier with the friggin'. The metaphor, I'm like, oh, great. <laughs> it's like one of those what things where, like, mean? when you get in a homework assignment that you're not confident in math or something, and you get yeah. it, you're like, I got to think about the Bible. And, oh, my God. So it's a complex book. So the point being that, yes, those in the statute are non-detainable offenses, but not really. So that's where it gets a little bit confusing. Because yeah, not necessarily. Not necessarily, because, yeah. again, if the judge finds that you are a real and present danger or a flight risk, whether you committed second-degree murder or robbery or kidnapping or um, arson, whatever else is on that list, you will be held no bail. So everyone freaking out about, oh, wow, there's going to be all these arsons or, you know, all these batteries going on, all these arsons, burglaries, drug-induced homicides, and they can't be held. They can't be held in jail. They'll be set free. No, that's not the case whatsoever. So that's very misleading, and I don't know what big media outlet or small media outlet is is being paid to spread these lies, but, I mean, we gotta admit they've done a good job because a lot of people really do believe I, that. I just this can't is believe people still trust the media now, nowadays. It's, it's, I thought I thought their credibility was done for after you yeah. know, the, the recent history, but I guess you know. I sure well, don't because trust what I hear. The, a lot of it probably what it is is like political parties, um, or these packs that are advertising on TV are just mm-hmm. just saying whatever they want to say about it because they have an agenda. So they're saying if they, you know, if it's people that are pro, Guess clickbait too. Oh my God, all the murders will be out, you know. Well, the, people yes, panic, click it, click it, click it. It's just, it, That's yeah. honestly kind of what's going on right now is they're getting people scared into thinking. And I'm not making a determination here. I'm not making a factual determination. I'm just saying that what I see is that they're trying to scare people one way or the other, you know, or not scare people one way or the other. Maybe, maybe, maybe that. So like I talk it out loud, it's like, Oh, they're going to be letting all these violent offenders out. Like that's what they want you to think about. Yeah. Is that how it really is? Claudia is saying it's not Probably what the not. law was intended and designed yeah. to do. So they're rallying um, a certain viewpoint on one side, and then the other side is like, you know, they're getting they're they're finally getting some fairness now. So like the the process is being more made more fair. There's more procedural safeguards to protect the accused. Namely, that the judge is going to consider more information and make a decision not in five minutes, but in a longer amount of time. But then yeah. what we're seeing in these ads is they're making statements about it, about how bad it's going to be. And then they, you know, one of the gubernatorial uh, candidates 
um, Mr. Darren Bailey, um, he...